0: Shaker Blake presents Killer and Hostage. Hello, bafflingly loyal listeners, and welcome to another episode of Shake and Blake, the Blake 7 podcast that is brought to you by Earth2.net and geekpalletonline.com. I'm one of your hosts, Dave Probert, and joining me for another two slices of the visual Battenberg, which is Blake 7, <laughs> is Mr. Ian Wilson.
1: The visual Battenberg? Yes. Could you explain that metaphor, perhaps?
0: Well, everyone likes a Battenberg.
1: Okay. (laughs) 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 Fine. Carry
0: on. How are you, sir?
1: Uh, I'm I'm pretty good. Um, I've uh, seen a lot of my family these uh, past few weeks, uh, because uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, my brother and sister were up here because... uh, My brother was doing that glorified fun run, uh, the Great North Run, so uh, we got to reunite with uh, them for the first time in 13 months, uh, due due to my sister spending a good watch of time in China, and then uh, my folks were up this past weekend, and we got to enjoy this beautiful Indian summer that uh, has now just faded away into nothingness. uh, and ginger people don't really like sunny weather anyway (laughs)
2: that's
1: why a good friend of mine from university calls me a day walker
0: (laughs) I can't imagine where he got that term from
1: (laughs) (laughs) and I have no soul (laughs) well I've often suspected well you've met
2: me yes (laughs) <laughs> and
1: how
0: are you, sir? Yes, very well, very well Uh Came back from a uh, cousin's wedding over the weekend and got to spend some time watching Doctor Who with my eight-year-old niece. a right. convert to the new show. And I uh, managed to show her a old-school episode. I uh, showed her a Tomb of the Cybermen, which is an old black-and-white Patrick Trout story.
1: Now, is that a good episode?
0: I think it's a good episode, yes.
1: Right, so... This wasn't the kind of introduction you do when introducing people to, say, Blake 7.
0: Well, th- there was some alcohol induced in the uh, introduction of Blake 7 to Mr. Dillon.
1: Yes. me to
0: go, like, watch this, look, it's rubbish.
1: <laughs> what could you be referring to there, Dave? <laughs> the, possibly the web, which is shit. Huh? Oh, yeah. so I've heard. <laughs> Multiple times. <laughs>
0: Well, should we, uh, dive into the feedback?
1: Oh, let's get it over into, with. In, into
0: the, into the shallow pool, which is the feedback. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I have two bits of feedback, which are both sort of, uh, feedback for the episodes we're actually watching. So, as usual, we shall dive into those once we've finished discussing them. Okey dokey. So, uh, is there anything in the Earth 2 inbox?
1: Yes! Hurrah! Score draw! Score draw.
0: Score draw.
1: Two all. <laughs> is it, that's our first draw? It that's is. That's our first well, draw. That's awesome. Well we were gonna have one earlier on in the day and then um Patterson did his little stunt. Yes. And he's never been heard from since. <laughs> thanks to my Travisogram. <laughs> okay. Well let's let, let's get on with it then. Um so this one comes in from Andrew Leyland, and he says, Dearest Ian and Dave. Ah. We, we, we haven't met, but that's very touching. A good friend of mine recently lent me his first season book set of Blake Seven, as I hadn't watched the show in many a moon. Well, since the mid-90s, anyway. And as I journeyed my way through the episodes, I thought, I wonder if there's a podcast about this. Because nowadays, apparently, I cannot watch, read or listen to something without finding out if there is an accompanying podcast. Which I'm, I'm guessing it's a curse of the modern age. Yes. Yeah. Or a blessing. <laughs> or a blessing, well, if, if you happen
0: to like audio accompaniment with your entertainment.
1: <laughs> Imagine my joy that not only was there such a podcast, but it was co-hosted by Ian Wilson who also co-hosted one of my favourite podcasts, For Your Ears Only. Happy, happy, joy, joy. I dutifully got in touch with Ian on the evil Facebook and asked if he had a promo that I could include in my show, a comic book podcast in which myself and my son cast cross-generational opinions on random comics. And yes, I will haul my show out anywhere. And it turns out that, no, you don't have a promo. This shocking lapse on promotional material meant I had to extol the virtues of your show myself, which I did in the episode that goes or went, depending on how you're reading this, live on the 22nd of September. Anyway, I remember watching Blake Seven on the Beeb back in the early 80s and be- uh, and became a regular viewer. I even caught some on Super Channel in the late 80s, early 90s, but they never seemed to show any late episodes, just season 1 and 2 on a loop. As the show never seemed to get a complete re-airing, I even watched those awfully edited feature-length episodes that BBC Video released in the 80s before finally seeing the show in its entirety on VHS, and now look forward to the DVDs with their shiny extra features. Parentheses, Stephen Grief has aged very well. That's very nice to know. Anyway, a fine show. Good work, David and Ian. I'm off now to follow Leslie Judd's instructions and make a transporter bracelets. Best wishes, Andrew Leyland. So thank you very much, Andrew. Thank you, Andrew.
0: Uh, what was the name of his podcast? Did he say?
1: <laughs> Ironically, no, he didn't.
0: Well, that's a shocking lapse of promotion on your part, Mister Lane. <laughs> Zing! <laughs> 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 <It's>,
1: <laughs> uh, thankfully, uh, it is in the signature of his email. Uh, it is called the "Hey Kids!" exclamation point uh, comics podcast. Um, which you can find apparently on Podomatic at uh, apleyland.podomatic.com or there is a web page which is www.heykidscomics.webspace.virginmedia.com So, yes, hopefully that will uh, gain you however many new listeners you think Shake and Blake actually has. Um... Just on the point of his email, uh, perhaps you could uh, clue me in a bit on these uh, so-called awfully edited feature-length episodes uh, on BBC Video. Uh, Basically, before they
0: started releasing individual episodes, they put together, I think it was the first three or four episodes together, but they sort of edited it together into like a feature-length film, if you like. Right. I've not actually seen it myself, but I understand that... uh, there are times where it's put together in a bit of a choppy way.
1: <laughs> mm. So, it, say with Doctor Who, they wouldn't bother like taking out the the bits in you know the, the titles of each individual episode of a story. They'd just run it the whole way through, as guess. Yeah,
0: they they used to in the early days of Doctor Who videos actually. They would, uh-huh. they would just take out the episode breaks and they would do it, it as all one great big long story. But then a, a, a lot of the fans sort of complained that they wanted what, sort of like the individual episode experience so they started putting the episode breaks back in again. Oh, yeah. and then They'd be releasing the ones that they'd already put out but with the episode breaks in.
1: Fair enough. Right. Well, if you an email, and this might be a bit of a shock for you, Mr. Priewerts, um, it comes from Jillian, Co- no, uh, it comes from, <laughs> it comes from Mitchell McCann.
0: Well, I, I am aware of, of Mr. McCann's, uh, duplicity. <laughs> no, I, he, he, uh, he, he, has, he, he's emailed me some feedback on the episodes themselves and he has best up to, uh, firing a message your way as well, but he said that you were quicker on the draw. So I, I have to respect that.
1: He, well, he, he does address it. Okay. Uh, but, <laughs> admittedly, it's a, it's a PS at the end. Still, guten tag, Dave and Ian. Oh, we're going bilingual. <laughs> well, quite. Uh, to clarify on the point regarding the teleport, that uh, we were a bit puzzled by in the, the previous episode, oh, yeah. when, when Villa and Avon are in the Forbidden Zone, the first time they get teleported up because their five-minute timer ran out... Immediately after they are beamed away, the ground detonates. See, attached, poorly made GIF. I also attached a few other GIFs, which, while maybe too large for the web... I'm guessing he means the internet rather than the web, (laughs) which is shit. Um, uh, But are still entertaining. I wish Canada got a DVD release so I could make better images but as it stands, the internet fairy works her magic well enough. A Mitchell. P.S. I'm not sure if this counts towards the feedback numbers, as this was directly solicited and not in relation to the show. I shall continue to send feedback proper into the British geek planet online. I don't really have anything against the American side, but to borrow a phrase... For the Commonwealth. <laughs> Mitchell, where do you think I come from? <laughs> You're a double agent, Wilson. I, I'm an ambassador. <laughs> There's a subtle difference. Yeah, you, you and Lord Hawhaw. <laughs> Just eating Ferrero Rocher. <laughs> and yes, he, uh, Mitchell has, uh, sent four gifts. Um, to, to this And what I shall do Is that uh, when the episode goes up uh, For the forum This is made for this episode Of Check It What are we up to now, 10? Uh, something like that I think, I think this <laughs> is episode 11 Put you on the spot um, Okay, so when uh, that forum thread uh, Comes up on the FT forums I shall uh, post uh, a seeming sizes Or uh, I shall uh, post them in uh, the forum thread Excellent mm. So that is my two I'm not, I'm not going to count Mitchell's Sly attempt of trying to get out of this counting No, no, I,
0: counts... I, I fully endorse it as two I'm not looking to take that away from you, sir Good,
1: good <laughs> I just want to be treading water at this <laughs> That's fine <laughs> uh, Yep, so that's all from me
0: Okay, so, uh, the point's taken about the, uh, the teleporting just as the thing explodes. but they're,
2: oh, they're, yeah. I suppose
0: they are teleported up because their time is out, and I suppose that could well have been due to Blake's research that he doesn't know exactly what the defences are in the Forbidden Zone, but he knows that usually within about, say, five minutes, that it will kick mm-hmm. in.
1: Well, am I right in thinking that, um Avon kind of, uh, Tested out a danger zone and timed it before he and Miller actually started walking through it.
0: It was something like that, yeah. Because they, they which... cut it and they sort of saw how it prepared mm. and.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So, I'm guessing Avon took a calculated risk.
0: Well, that's the sort of thing Avon usually
1: does. Well, indeed. Indeed.
0: Well, that's the feedback done. Shall we uh, plow on into, into our first episode? By all means. All right. The TP crystal is part of the A-line converter. Is that right? Yes. Then it will have to break down. Huh? Hmm? You can arrange a little malfunction there. Then apply for the replacement crystal, and we'll take the old one. We don't mind second-hand goods, do we, Villa? No, we're not fussy. I don't think you know what you're asking. I know exactly what I'm asking. I want it. What's your answer? I have to think about it. I must go. I hope you can trust him. I told you, he's a friend of mine.
2: Yes, I always knew you had
0: a friend. I used to say to people, I bet Avon's got a friend somewhere in the galaxy. And you were right.
2: That must be a novel experience for you.
0: So, our first episode is killer. In this episode, Avon and Villa teleport down to somewhere called Cubase on the planet Phosphoran. There, they're looking to catch up with a man called Tynus, who used to be an accomplice of Avon's, and what they want from Tynus is assistance in stealing something called a TP crystal, which the Federation are using to, uh, send new coded transmissions. They want the TP crystal so they can decode the Federation's signals and they can work out what they're saying. They rendezvous with Tynus. Uh, Tynus is an old, um, old accomplice of Avon's when he was committing fraud, but, uh, Avon kept quiet about Tynus being involved. And he uses this as basically sort of coax and strong arm Tynus into assisting them.
1: Do you think that might be what led to um, Haven's arrest and why he ended up on the London?
0: Very possibly. He, he does mention when he was on the London that one of the problems was he trusted other
1: people. Although it isn't directly referenced. No.
0: So, on board the Liberator, the uh, Blake and Jenner are tracking an unknown spacecraft. Once they get a closer look at it, they are surprised to discover it is what is you known as a Wanderer class. It's an old... Deep spaceship, one of the first ships to go out into deep space. Blakey is very surprised because, considering the ship's drive, it should have take, taken them sort of three thousand years to get this far into space. The uh, so- scientific division of Vosperin sends out a salvage ship, and uh, Callie senses that there is life aboard the ship. She can't say exactly what kind of life it is, but she says it's malevolent. Actually, I, I believe she says malignant. Yes, she does. Uh, Blake decides to take uh, you know, pity on them and uh, not wanting bad things to happen to these people who work for the Federation for some reason. <laughs> he he sends out a coded warning to the base, letting them know that there is uh, potential danger on the ship. Uh, the ship is taken down into quarantine under the orders of the uh, head of the science department, Dr. Belfryer, who is apparently a uh, expert in viruses and diseases. Mm. The ship is brought down and placed in quarantine by a group of people dressed as the Michelin Man. (laughs) They sure are. How Michelin didn't see this and Sue for Copyright infringement is something else.
1: I'm guessing out of sheer embarrassment.
0: (laughs) Blake decides he's going to teleport down because he he doesn't like a mystery. No no other reason. Uh, He teleports down, introduces himself to Dr. Belfryer. Um, Dr. Belfryer doesn't particularly care that who Blake is, You goes, well, I've never heard your name. Uh, they find a body on board the ship and they decide to do an autopsy. During the autopsy, the body comes to life and strangles the pathologist and a couple of people running to try and help him but it's too late, he's dead. And then a virus quickly starts to spread through the, uh, the medical department of the base. Uh, back with Villa and Avon, Titus has agreed to help them He's going to start a small fire as a distraction, so Avon can cause a malfunction. A well, he can fake a malfunction in the crystal, and then they can essentially sort of take the old crystal, which everyone will think is malfunctioning, but actually works, and then they'll replace it with the, uh, the spare they have. But after they go in and they uh, cause the uh, malfunction to happen, Villa discovers that Titus has sent a signal to Servalan, telling them that they're there, and that uh, he's going to try and delay them. Avon doesn't take this very well and decides, right, we're just going to go take the crystal and destroy the machine to make it look like it was destroyed in the fire. Uh, Titus tries to uh, corner Avon. Uh, with, at this point, the virus is now running rampant throughout the base, so Titus is quite distracted. But he works out that uh, Avon and Villa have gone to take the crystal. He, he knocks out Villa, pulls a gun on Avon, the two of them have a struggle, but Titus gets thrown into the machinery, and gets electrocuted, and dies. Uh, Blake. While working with Dr. Belfryer, uh, Dr. Belfryer doesn't have access to a computer, so Blake volunteers to take the information he has and then use ORAC to try and process what they have to try and find out where the strain is. Uh, one of the symptoms of the virus, one of the early symptoms, is loss of memory. And uh, this is displayed with uh, Dr. Belfryer's uh, assistant, Gambrill, being given some orders by Dr. Bellfryer but suddenly forgetting what they are and then sort of collapsing and with, covered in blisters and dyes. Avon and Vinod teleport back up to the Liberator and join Blake. Uh, Blake talks to the, uh, Dr. Belfryer and tells him what the, uh, what the compounds are that are the dangerous ones in the virus. Dr. Belfryer replies that, uh, basically the virus has been engineered to attack people who traveled in deep space. It seems that this Wanderer class ship drifted into an area which is known as 61 Signi which is known in smuggling terms as the Darkling Zone. It's an area which has never been uh, explored by the Federation. And it seems that this virus has been engineered to kill human beings which have travelled in deep space, because when you travel in deep space, there's something that happens that changes your uh, molecular structure slightly. So the the virus has been engineered to keep mankind on Earth. Uh, Dr. Belfry is about to uh, read off the formula for the antiserum, but suddenly he for- loses his memory and he forgets how to read and then swiftly dies. Blake decides to put a quarantine uh, warning around the planet to stop anybody else coming. Avon objects to this, suggesting that Servaland's coming. So if Servaland lands on the planet, then she will contract the virus and die. But Blake says he's not willing to be responsible for if the virus gets off the planet and spreads throughout everybody in deep space because it could potentially wipe out millions. So they get away with the crystal But the planet Phosphoron is essentially dead. And that's the end of the episode. Mr Wilson, your thoughts on this?
1: Right. I will be very honest here. Um, There is a caveat in that I do... I am known to have the old tipple every night. But I watched this first um, yesterday. And when I was thinking back on it uh, whilst I was at work today I could barely remember what happened <laughs> so um, after taking notes for my own episodes uh, I had to have a, a hasty rewatch and um, to be honest there is I don't think there are many problems with the episode itself it's it's more the problem with my rampant alcoholism um, <laughs> I don't know, it's, it's interesting that there are two different storylines happening um, within the same location. Because uh, normally there are two stories going on at one time, but in this case it was being done at the same place that isn't the Liberator. And um, it's nice seeing the difference between the benevolent uh, Doctor... Uh, whose name I temporarily forget.
2: Pelophrite. That's Pelophrite.
1: And uh, the more malevolent uh, Tynus. But then you'd expect him to be malevolent, A, because he's a friend of uh, Avon, or a, a, someone who's very like Avon, and B, because he's that guy from Raiders of the Lost Ark.
0: He is that guy from Raiders of the Lost Ark, the legendary Mr. Ronald Lacey.
1: Yeah. And this would have been... What, two years before that?
0: At least, I think. I suppose this would be, what, 78?
1: This would be 79. Yeah,
0: seventy-eight, seventy-nine, 79, and then uh, Raiders would be what, 81, 82?
1: I think 81. The top, the top of my head. But yeah, it's around that time, isn't it? Yeah. It was very interesting. Um, it did kind of sideline uh, Callie and Jenna, though. Again, it's
0: becoming a regular thing that Tally and Jenna are essentially acting as secretaries. <laughs> <laughs> the the-
1: They're catching ganitis. Yes, <laughs> and I'd, I'd be worried about that. That's fatal.
0: Yes, <laughs> I, I think it's a relief. I mean, it was a very simple and quick synopsis because it's actually a fairly simple episode. Yes, there were two concurrent storylines, but neither of them is overcomplicated, and they do dovetail. Quite nicely in between each other. Oh yeah. yeah. So I think it's sort of karma for having to synopsize all the very complicated Chris Boucher episodes. <laughs> it's a great pleasure to be able to synopsize one by the legendary Mister Robert Holmes, who is quite possibly the greatest man ever to write for Doctor Who ever. <laughs> he was responsible for many of the great stories of Doctor Who. Yeah, it's it's a really well written story. Nice and tense, but you know, not overly complicated. And anybody who knows sort of Robert Holmes's stories. I mean, for instance, he wrote The Talents of Wang Chiang. I know that. Yes?
1: Yes. I know that he wrote that. Yes. I definitely know that.
0: <laughs> and Robert Holmes does love double acts in his, uh, in his who writing. I mean, in Talents of Wang Chiang, we get Jago and Lightfoot. Uh, in the Reboss Operation, we get Gowan and Unstaff. Uh, in The Mysterious Planet, we get, um, uh, Glitz and Dibber, he, you know, we always get these little, little sort of double acts who play off each other, and obviously when he starts writing for Blake 7, <laughs> he already has a double act in place, thanks to Avon and Villa. and their dialogue in this episode
1: crackles. It does, doesn't yeah. it?
0: They're really bouncing off each other really, really well here. And you can see that um, Paul Darrow and Michael Keating are really sort of grasping the stick with both hands at the opportunity to
1: to, to play this kind of dialogue as well. Mm. I mean you you wonder when the because right from the start the two characters really didn't get on. But you do wonder you know, what was the initial point when they really started to work as a <laughs> as a double act. And I think by the time you watch this episode you know that it's in place, you know it's established and you know it's just gonna
2: carry on.
0: Absolutely, I mean, it, it, and by this point I think it's more of a, it's an equal byplay, because before it would forever be sort of, Villa would just be sort of moaning and sort of bitching and being cowardly, and Ava would just be putting him down, but whereas this, this is proper back and forth by this point.
1: Because <laughs> Villa is quick to point out that this, uh, utter traitor, um is, uh, a good friend of Ava's. <laughs> <laughs> What 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 a judge of character Avon must be.
0: Well, uh, he also says to Tynus at one point, isn't he? He says, like, uh, be careful when a- Avon extends a hand of friendship because the other hand is holding a hammer.
2: <laughs>
1: and when uh, Villa kind of hesitates to actually help Avon out during the final fight, partially because he wouldn't have got a very good shot at Tynus, when Avon but, yeah, thanks for your help. Well, I didn't want to get in between friends. So.
0: <laughs> but also they do have a, while well, they're sitting around waiting for Titus, they do have a very pointed exchange about uh, the differences between Avon and Blake. Yes. About the fact that Avon uh, he, he doesn't like the fact that Blake risks himself for others. You know, people he doesn't even know.
2: Mm.
0: And then Villa points out when well, he's risking himself by trying to cause this overload and potentially getting electrocuted. And Avon sort of says to him, ah, oh, yes, but that's a personal gain. <laughs> but Blake's bleeding heart will eventually get us all killed. Uh, but Vila looks at him very pointedly and says, oh, yes, but unless somebody takes him out of the way first, of course. Mm. And, and then just sort of smiles at him. I mean, Vila is very laconic, unusually laconic in this episode.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, there's one line in it where, uh, <laughs> where yeah. Avon explains that if he gets the uh, electrical circuitry wrong, then he'll be fried instantly. Um, and Villa's just like, oh, don't worry, I'm a vegetarian. Because uh, <laughs> well,
0: no, he, he says, like, that, well, there won't be enough left left of me to fill a sandwich. <laughs> and Villa says, don't worry, I'm a vegetarian, but thanks for asking.
1: You see, you wonder if that's properly laconic, or he's actually going, oh, yes, I, I'm a vegan. But, uh... What did I
0: say? Vegan. Yes. Anyway. Uh, a Vegan is somebody who's just not very specific on detail. (laughs) Yeah. So, I I think one thing we do have to address in this episode... (laughs) is ...is the fact that the costume designer appears to have had some sort of nervous breakdown. (laughs) Yes. Because the costume in this are just bonkers. (laughs) I mean, all the technicians apparently appear to be wearing (laughs) tarpaulins...
1: And the doctors
0: are wearing sort of white tarpaulins made out of bin liners.
1: That <laughs> squeaks whenever they move.
0: <laughs> and, of course, we get to the aforementioned Michelin men. The, the, these, are, these are supposed to be the quarantine suits, presumably they're sort of biohazard suits, mm. but they do look like Michelin man suits. Yeah. I mean, to the point where Michelin should have sued. <laughs> All it was missing was the smiley face on the front, and it little <laughs> corporate sponsorship. It was like they look ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> it's like they, must, they said to the costume designer, "We want to come up with like a, a biohazard suit, the kind of thing you'd wear to make sure you don't get, you know, contaminated by something." And the costume designer came back with that. Yes, yeah, four of them. Yes. <laughs> They must have cost a pretty penny to make as well. And I can't ever see like, the BBC reusing them anywhere else because you know, the BBC is quite well known for reusing its co- costumes in other shows and stuff. I mean, they've got props from Doctor Who which have shown up in Blake's 7 and vice versa. Mm.
1: Well, yeah, I suppose the BBC could always go on and sell those suits to Michelin.
0: I can only assume that at some point they must have got used for an episode of It's a Knockout. <laughs> but there, there would have been some sort of... <laughs> Some Belgians in there running up a, a grease slope while Stuart Hall laughs his head off.
1: The best description I've ever heard about It's a Knockout is from Charlie Brooker saying that it <laughs> was essentially a game show based upon the Wicker Man.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that is the, possibly the best description of it. For American li- listeners, if you've never heard of It's a Knockout. <laughs> And by by all means, YouTube, it is bound to be someone on YouTube. It is the most bizarre thing that people, not just British people, There's people in Europe, because it was like, it was also known as like Just All Frontier. <laughs> it, was like, it was like an international sort of European game show, teams from all over Europe, dressed up in ridiculously huge costumes, running city races where people fell in water.
1: Don't forget the royal family.
0: And, and yes, there was one episode where the royal family, the royal family of this nation, <laughs> participated. Not the Queen, I hate oh, the yeah, no, no, not, not the important royals. But, but certainly the heir to the throne took part. Yeah. <laughs> I only hope they replay that on his coronation day.
1: Oh, wouldn't that be brilliant?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that should be part of his coronation, and here comes Prince Charles, in his, in his gigantic axman's <laughs> costume as he stumps up the mall. Oh, he's fallen over! Yeah. <laughs> this is a dream team. Oh God! <laughs> and, I only a lot of this conversation is sailing majestically over the heads of some yes. of our American I don't know.
1: listeners. <laughs> which I I, I I remember when it was kind of repackaged uh, for kids on going live, live and kicking, and called yes. "Run the Risk" with Peter Simon. Yes, a, a double dare. Double dare. <laughs> well, they have double dare in America. Do they? I, I believe. I've, I've heard it. was one of those Nick programs. You know, it had Gunge in it, so... Yes. Yeah. Yes.
0: Yeah. Uh, the early 90s, where throwing goo at people was considered acceptable children's television.
1: Uh, and light entertainment.
2: Yes. <laughs>
1: Could you, ever Must we forget Noel's House Party? Americans, you really don't need to know Noel's House Party.
0: Yeah, we really are dissecting the dregs of the British light entertainment programmes.
1: <laughs> the '90s weren't a good decade.
0: <laughs> we, we veered massively away from the episode.
1: Exactly. We're talking about the '90s for Blake Seven. Um, uh, curse you, Michelin Men! Curse you. <laughs> a sentence I didn't think I'd be saying
2: tonight.
1: <laughs> but um yeah so, I mean but
0: what do you think of the uh, the, the Blake plotline in this the bl-
1: <laughs> Well I, I really liked the doctor um <laughs> I don't I can't remember Belfry that's the one um cuz you know he he made for a good foil to Blake as someone who you know isn't an antagonist or some kind of fervent militants, you know, he's just a, a, an intellectual who's curious about an, a very unfortunate event that has uh, befallen where he yeah. is, and I think part, part of the enjoyment, I get is h- him and his, his double act with uh, Gambrel, his assistant, yeah. who looks like Art Garfunkel in, <laughs> <laughs> in white plastic.
0: <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the wipe-clean Art Garfunkel <laughs> coming soon to shop.
1: <laughs> wipe-clean Art Garfunkel.
0: <laughs> Never worry about Garfunkel soiling
1: again. <laughs> oh, um, but yes, I really liked the Blake storyline. Um, and it did show... You, you brought it up in the synopsis. Um how he was now actually taking an interest in these human beings that might be affected, despite the fact that they work for the Federation. And if
2: anything, yeah.
1: Jenna was more fervent than Blake was.
0: I mean, I can understand sort of, Jenna's fervor. You know, these, these people have been trying to kill her. Yes. But like, it just seems really odd that. I mean, Blake at one point wanted to you know, destroy the Federation's control center you know, in Pressure Point, and that would have affected loads of people. Mm-hmm. And, and yet here it's just like, oh, they, they, they might get something. It's like surely, you know, he, he must sort of think tactically, well, maybe if they do all catch a disease or something, that would be like, give Able and Villa a chance to do what
1: they want. You wonder if there's a subtext that he might have mellowed slightly after the events of Pressure Points. Uh, Mind
0: you, having said that, and as we've all established that Blake's sleeves are an indication of his ego, that oh, yes. the <laughs> sleeves are back.
2: Yes, yes
0: they are. <laughs> <laughs> and he sort of, when he teleports daddy he just goes up to, uh, I think it's Gamble. Hmm. And he, he Gambrel's like, who are you? You're not one of our people. So he's like, take me to whoever's in charge. Like, who are you? Goes, Never mind that, take me to whoever's in charge.
1: After <laughs> he makes another blundering, he teleports down into, like the exhaust tunnel, <laughs> as, as, as a as ship's leaving the base. Yeah. Dan will just be asphyxiated, but...
0: Uh... Oh, because, because he made the cardinal error of not
1: being dressed as the Michelin Man.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, to be honest, yeah. yes, cause, because Blake's so concerned about fashion, isn't he? <laughs>
0: I imagine his arms were fine. They're they're quite Michelin esque. <laughs> yeah, I mean the whole sort of, I thought somebody um when you saw the effects of the disease and everything was was actually quite graphic. I mean you saw like all the like the quite graphic sort of blistering and stuff over the bodies. And so when when Gambrel dies.
2: Yeah.
0: You see him sort of stumbling around, not knowing where he is or what's going on. And he's just sort of convulsing on the ground. And then you do like a slow pan up, and his sort of face and hands are covered in these sort of massive red blisters.
1: Yeah, and I I do enjoy how how they made it look as if uh, the you know the the skin infection was taking over immediately. It's like no sooner have you seen them, shudder slightly, and then this makeup effect. Is already upon them.
0: Well, they do make a point that once you, you get it, it it kills you. About was it about like about fifteen, twenty minutes or something like that? Is isn't it? It's ridiculously quick.
1: Something like that. It kind of reminds me of um, the virus that Travis proper Travis had in um, uh, Project Avalon. Yes, but uh, it was that kind of thing. It would horribly de- deform you and then just kill you. Into nothing.
0: Plus, there's also that quite disturbing scene when vinus is standing on guard and Avos has tried to steal the um the crystal machine, and he just sees this kind of poor, desperate fellow just crawling across the ground. Yeah, like, not, like he doesn't even seem to notice Vin; he's just sort of crawling and moaning.
1: And that that moment of concern gets him knocked out.
0: Yes. but <laughs> <laughs> it's concerned with good reason. Oh, yeah, oh yeah,
1: absolutely, absolutely. But. <laughs>
0: And of course, there's that horribly tragic moment when Dr. Belfry is trying to read off the anti but he just suddenly realises to his horror he Not can't read, read anymore. Yeah. I just thought that was really well played by the actor.
1: I agree. Um, yeah, I mean, it's—I mean, imagine the tragedy of being, like, uh, you know, employed on the basis of your education and your intelligence and all of a sudden you figure out you can't read.
0: And especially when, at the time, you're trying to read out something so vital. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. something that has the potential to save lives, yeah. and just all of a sudden your ability to to do that is gone. Now there's mention of a place called the 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 six sixty one the the mysterious Darkling Zone, as Jenna refers oh, to it. Oh yeah, that's right. Which is where this this ship's supposed to have come from. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's very sort of strongly implied there's a there's an alien race in the Darkling Zone, which. uh has chosen to remain isolated and clearly doesn't want the human race sort of forging out into space. Mm. And clearly they've got, yeah, they they've fitted the uh, the body of the uh, the astronaut Warden with some sort of cybernetic implant to sort of wake him up and kill the Doctor. And, and Blake does make a reference to the uh, the use of smallpox blankets with the Native Americans. Yes, uh. and, and says this is basically the same thing. <laughs>
1: on A much larger scale, well, uh, a more advanced scale.
0: The uh, the whole uh, bit with the the dead body coming back to life is quite shocking as well, isn't it? Because he sort of says that as pl- as part of the law, you have to check the EEG that there's no <laughs> brain activity before you can you can uh, start an autopsy. Yeah. And suddenly the uh, the pathologist, Doctor Wyler seems uh, quite annoyed at having to do. Oh God, I guess I better check he's dead. Yeah. But having said that, given the circumstances, I suppose I can I can see his point. He didn't. Like, he looks pretty dead to me. Yeah.
1: He did come across as a bit combative throughout. Um, you know, it's like, it's clear that he and Belfry don't get on.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, cause it, it, it seems
1: like uh, Doctor Wyde is a bit of a dick. <laughs> well, I think, I think Belfry says his his problem is that White is far too slow and methodical. And when challenged about it, so let me do this in my own time, thank you. Um, and even when he's being told, um, there's brain activity. What? You must be wrong. And then uh, no. <laughs> what you must be wrong
0: turns around and there's a corpse standing in front of him, which properly <laughs> throttled.
2: Yeah.
1: And uh,
0: yeah, fuck you. <laughs>
1: I, I think that corpse is a, a pretty good makeup effect.
0: I think it's quite impressive, actually, yeah. given the budget. It's oh, yeah. quite horrific.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd, I probably wouldn't like to turn around and see that standing in front of me, with it? You'd be upset, wouldn't I'd, you? I'd be a bit perturbed. <laughs> it's just a bowel-loosening moment. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> so, uh, should we look at some of the uh, feedback we have on this one? Yeah, OK. Because uh, Mitchell McCann has been kind enough to send us something.
1: You good, good.
0: Uh Hello, Ian and Dave. Hey. Interesting order you put there. Uh, sorry to have left this late in the month and I've to have sent the message to Earth 2's inbox, but Ian was quicker on the draw. Zing. Hey. My thoughts on killer boil down to three things. Point the first. Dear God in heaven, they're wearing upholstered ponchos. <laughs> sure are. Point the second. The medic who was... The Doctor's second-in-command looked a bit too much like the silent half of Penn and Teller. I kept expecting him to pull out a dove from his sleeve and mug to the camera. Uh, these two minor points, and the episode would have been a very good given Avon's and Villa's moments playing off each other, the cool corpse effects and the solid turns by the guest stars. Uh, this brings me to point the third. The Doctor is about to read off the formula for the anti-serum when Blake interrupts him. Dick move on a capital level. There could have been a cure for a bioweapon, an enemy of hu- humanity readily employs, but Roger Blake likes the sound of his own voice too much. This moment costs, to borrow the good red scale, the episode at least one Avon. <laughs> he does have a point there, because uh, Dr. Belfry is uh, talking about you know, where the virus has come from, and, and then Blake does interrupt him before he starts reading out the Formula for the anti serum, and if, if Blake had shut up, he may well have gotten the formula out before he realised he couldn't read.
1: Yeah, um, I mean that's that's the sort of thing he, you can only say in hindsight, really.
0: True, but then having said that, you uh, say, "All right, I've got the an- I've got the formula for the anti serum here," and Blake's like, "Ah, yes, but like, no, 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 shut up! He's got the formula for the anti serum." <laughs> is that?
1: Shut up! Sorry, stop talking. Sorry, uh, <laughs> what's it? I, don't, I, don't I know,
0: know, I
2: know, I
1: know. Uh, but what was it that Blake said? You know what, I can't remember. That's is, the because that, I can't cool. quite <laughs> So send in another email, Mitchell. <laughs> uh, but.
0: Don't uh, start just randomly requesting information no, from Mitchell
1: so we'll <laughs> your inbox. Sorry, right, I've moved on. I'm sorry, Mitchell, what was that you said? <laughs> <laughs> if both of us can't remember it. <laughs>
0: Don't toy with Mitchell in such a way. (laughs) It's a tug-of-war for your love, Mitchell. (laughs) Seems like a geekier version of Kramer versus Kramer. Okay, then. Tugs of love aside, shall we uh, move on to the next episode?
1: Righty-so. Blake,
0: I am sending from the planet X-Bar. I have Ashton's daughter... Here she is. Her name is Inga, if you remember. Don't worry, I won't harm her. All I ask is come to X-Bar and talk. Blake, this is not a trick. Like yourself, I am now a fugitive from the Federation. It is time we pooled our resources. Together we might survive. Alone, the Federation will pick us off one at a time.
2: Starting with him, we hope. He could have a point.
0: Blake... The girl is safe if you come to X-Bar within 25 time units. Teleport at grid reference BW-130. If you do not come, the girl regretfully dies. So, our next episode is Hostage. Take it away, Mr. Wilson.
1: We begin on board the Liberator, and the crew are having a bit of a dull time on a bridge, until suddenly... Out of nowhere, twenty Federation pursuit ships uh, come into range, and all um, there! Oh, yeah, exactly. It's, uh, Avon, does your does your new invention come with a warranty at all? <laughs> <laughs> because it's on the fritz, clearly. Um, <laughs> There's twenty of them out there, and they can see us. <laughs> So um, the Federation ships are being uh, guided under the command of a particularly ruthless uh, kind of commander who really, it's <laughs> like you'd think he was Travis or cosplay Travis because of his, his kind of determination to succeed in this mission. Um, with good reasons, as we'll see in a moment, why why he's perhaps so driven. To succeed, because uh, failure is not tolerated. And, um, in, a, in, a, in a very bond kind of way. <laughs> That's for your ears only. Every second <laughs> Monday of, oh wait a sec, it's not 2,000 days. No. Damn. He's <laughs> it, it, uh, it
2: an,
0: an
1: unusually competent space commander. Yes. Um, who is, again, he's commandeering a ship with mutoids, although, he, these Mutoids are very much the Debbie Harry make of Mutoids. They're, the,
0: they're the Beverly Sisters. The ship is being piloted oh, well, by the Beverly okay. Sisters. Well, two of the Beverly Sisters. There are three of them. I don't <laughs> know. Maybe the third one's in the engine room or something. I don't know. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, so Bond Mutoids. So yes. It's a tad odd. Um, but either way, so um, the Liberator is attacks And uh, it takes quite a beating. It has 12 direct hits. Um, however, so much of the attack was based on the fact that this would be enough to destroy the Liberator that uh, they don't really have a plan B as the Liberator crew get up and start to uh, make a move out the way. And uh, they're going too fast, or they're moving too precisely, to be able to... Uh, change their shape and mount an effective uh, counter-response. So, um, Blake decides to do what he loves doing, which is uh, noticing an odd thing in space and uh, ordering Zen uh, to fly right into it at full speed.
0: Is ah, that... yes, the, the wibbly thing in space, Gambit, which always seems to serve Blake so well. It... <laughs> Mysterious wibbly thing, head
1: straight for it!
0: Really, Not we could go around. No, straight for it. <laughs> Nothing bad has
1: happened before. Damn the consequences, man! <laughs> of course, it, I mean, it, if we think back to Duel, uh, yes. that move would certainly have got them all killed if it weren't for some uh, the intervention of some meddling space ghosts. Yes, and of
0: course, um, in Horizon. Driving through the mysterious wibbly wobbly thing, which turned out to be a magnetic barrier. Yep. They only just survived.
1: <laughs> uh, <Yeah>. That Blake.
0: <laughs> a breakdown as well. Blake flying through yeah. the great wibbly wobbly swirly thing in space to try and get Gan saved in time.
1: <laughs> and then just says, No! <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean, no? I am Roger Blake. <laughs> I laugh in the face of swirly things. <laughs> anyway, so um, this tactic works. Um, despite the fact the commander has been able to follow with some kind of uh, cloaking shield of his own. He's um, like, yes, we we can hit him again, uh, but just not right now. <laughs> and um, So on board the Liberator, the crew realise that the Federation have... Uh, identified the tech upgrade that Avon has done and has decided to do that to their ships and now they know that Avon's own original model doesn't really work. And Avon is disappointed probably a bit in in, in terms of pride about his own work, uh, but also because he had hoped to sell that to the Federation personally. So,
2: (laughs) same old Avon...
1: Um, but then, uh, we also find out that, uh, Blake has been sent a message, uh, on a, a strange frequency, um, because it's Aurak who picks it up, and they deduce that, um, whoever it is must know that they had Orac with which to gain said message, and who could that be but our old pal, cosplay Travis, uh, who's now a fugitive, of course. Uh, <laughs> he's, it's almost like he's the one-armed man of the fugitive. <laughs> he's the one-eyed man. <laughs> and um, uh, he uh, says that, you know, I'm on the run now too, which I believe the, Liber- the Liberator crew are aware of. And he uh, says he'd like them to pool their resources and, um, you know, come to the planet of X-Bar and um, we'll, we'll have a chat. But being Travis, uh, he doesn't know how to do such a simple thing without villainy and says... <laughs> <laughs> says, you know, come on, let, let, let's work together, let's team up against the Federation and if you don't, I will kill this person who I know you <laughs> you care deeply for. Ciao! Um,
0: Cosplay Travis, negotiating with Villady since 1979.
1: <laughs> um, yes, he has a hostage, uh, a female, uh, I don't know, 20 something woman, as uh, his hostage. And um, Blake identifies her as Inga um who is someone, in his own words, meant a great deal to him once. And when pressed, um it's not actually an old girlfriend, but uh she's the daughter of Blake's father's brother, which is a roundabout way of saying Blake's cousin. Uh, <laughs> uh, and the daughter of...
0: Uh, I was going to say... We'll find out why he's deliberately tried to steal her a <laughs> bit later on.
1: Indeed. Indeed. Uh, and She's merely the daughter of my
0: father's brother. I don't
1: know what you're making so much fuss about. My father's brother, Ushton, <laughs> um, who was meant to be uh, imprisoned on the planet because X-Files are a former penal planet, um, but then the Federation kind of moved on. Uh, but but now they 're back, so with regards to um travis's villainous message of villainy, uh Villa of course thinks, Oh, so he 's changed hearts let 's trust him, and um Avon gives him both a withering look and a withering put down um because uh he he knows it 's a trap, and Blake thinks. Obviously, that that's more than likely. But uh, because uh, this daughter of the brother of his father uh, is so important to him, that um, that's the reason why he, he's going to go. And Avon puts his foot down saying, no, it's an unacceptable risk. Um, but ultimately, he doesn't call the shots. Um, yeah. So... Uh, the Liberator flies out to- towards Exper. And as this is going on, uh, we meet back up with Servalan, who hasn't been captured by Travis or done or, or seemingly came away from the end of uh, what was that? Say? Trial. Trial uh, completely unscathed. <laughs> so, so that was a tad odd. But. Um, uh, she is displeased when the space commander reports back, and rather than have the commander follow the Liberator in order to, you know, try and gun it down some more, she says, right, turn yourself in, I don't care about your failure, but I almost succeeded, <laughs> and, um... This just goes to annoy Servland further, so she orders the commander's mutoids to turn on him. Um, <laughs> so, so there we go. Um, and um, she's just about to entertain a uh, counselor of the Federation uh, when she is told that a message has been sent to her um, directly to her. And it's not on a channel that's really recognized um so lands intrigued and uh permits them to to go and decode it and um uh she then uh, has Council joban sent in and uh joban is essentially there just to say so um The Blake situation, still going on, isn't it? Uh, Because that kind of neatly ties into trial, because this was something that was always going to be addressed, and Servland had hoped that uh, the Travis show trial would uh, not implicate her quite as much. But uh, Joanne's still there just to say... Yeah, um, not very much is going on. It's, uh, you, you you failed to capture Blake yet again, and Surfland tries to use the almost-succeeded line, but uh, doesn't quite cut it. And uh, Joban notes that their continual failure has led to the, the growth of rumours. And Surfland's a bit distressed by this, because, theoretically, if the Federation were on top of their game, such like the rumours wouldn't actually reach the... Drugged up populace of certainly Earth, and then you'd think other Federation-dominated planets, but uh, as it is, the the cult of Blake has has taken a hold, and um,
3: Joban...
1: I, I don't. There's a lot of subtext there, isn't there? There's, uh, I mean, on, on the surface of things, they're having uh, a very cordial, friendly, even. Um, discussion but you can see them trying egging each other on underneath the words in the subtext
0: yeah a lot lots of veiled threats <laughs>
1: yes. um so as jay band departs Servland gets a message saying that uh, travis is on expo so uh, she heads off on the ship with uh, some more mutoids again because they're everywhere can't get rid of the damn things um, well,
0: she, she's taken the Beverly sisters with her.
1: <laughs> Indeed she has. <laughs> um, having turned them against uh, <laughs> their commander. <laughs> so, um, after Zen gives a lowdown on the planet's Expo, that it has uh, very thin air and uh, it gets quite cold and there's only so much oxygen. Um, uh, Blake Sets off down there. Avon again voices his discontent with the plan, but uh, when's that ever stopped Blake? So uh, he goes de he's, he's changed into a very 70s outfit, very white, very silver.
0: Um, well, it's meant to be a thermal suit, but I'm, it does say <laughs> in my notes uh, Blake appears to have raided Avon's silver lame wardrobe. <laughs>
1: it's a good thing there are spares for both Avon and Villa then. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so. Wait, that's um, the disco spacesuits. <laughs> <laughs> um, Callie, throughout, has noted that uh, Avon's pretty nervous about it, but Avon's irritable and dismisses what she's trying to say. Blake runs into his uncle Ashton, uh, who's fully aware uh, that Travis is down there, uh, but didn't have much of a choice in the matter, because Travis had guns, and uh, <laughs> a number of people. Um no, no. These... What, what, what are the people called?
2: Oh, well <laughs> <laughs>
1: What
0: What is the inspired name by which this gang of criminals is called?
1: This gang of criminal psychopaths. I, I, I'm guessing they got some work experience chaps in from Essex, because uh, uh, they got called Crimo's. Tri- yeah. Cos- cosplay Travis and the Crimo's. <laughs> now there's a cartoon show
0: I'd watch. <laughs> you wouldn't want them playing at your wedding, would you? <laughs>
1: Uh, no. <laughs> um, so, apparently, Travis and his legion of crimos uh, This is going to be a problem, though, isn't is it? His armed crimo. <laughs> well, I've, I've got an alternate name a, a little way on. But, um, <laughs> so so they're up on top of this... Uh, within this tower that's on top of like the main hill or mountain of the area... So, um, said he would have gone up himself, but, uh, he broke his leg recently and he's got a limp, so he can't climb all the way up. Um, so after, uh, Blake is, uh, clued in about how to get up there, Avon decides he's going to teleport down, and as he leaves, Jenna really wants to know what's going on with him. And Callie essentially says, well, he's feeling guilty. Because um, the only way that he could be so worried that there are people there waiting for them as they, float above (laughs) Expo as sitting ducks, is if he knows that uh, someone's coming for them. So, (laughs) very much implying that he's kind of uh, dobbed them in. So, we get to see... um, (laughs) <laughs> Avon taking cover uh, As Ashton and Blake Make their farewells And uh, Blake starts climbing up the hill As Ashton uh, heads back to his hut He suddenly loses his limp And um, Avon's suspicions are confirmed When uh, Although he doesn't see this Ashton radios up to the tower saying Yes Blake's on his way And Travis says yeah I know. I've looked down from on top of my mountain Bounce Travis Um, we then get a scene that would have been brilliant if Travis Prime were doing it. Because it's all about menacing a spirited young woman. And that is something Stephen Grief could do effortlessly. Indeed. Not so much cosplay Travis. No. It's not menacing. um, At all. So um, Ings says, "Oh, my my father would never help you." Um, but he has, and he's sold out Blake. So, so there. <laughs> <laughs> what a prick! What a prick! <laughs> and um, essentially, Even now that he's had his suspicions confirmed, uh, gets Jenna to send Villa down. I'm, I'm surprised they never asked like General Cali down to do missions because they would be far more useful in this situation than Villa but either way uh, <laughs> do would be ridiculous they are the women it is the women's job to stay on the <laughs> ship and, and take
0: the telephone calls and operate the teleport they're yeah. like space receptionists.
1: <laughs> when I was growing up a series of books that I had as a, a kind of hand-me-down were Enid Blyton's Secret Seven books. Yeah. And over time, I couldn't see the overt racism uh, (laughs) within them. Like, if they ever wanted to follow or shadow someone they suspected of being a criminal, they'd black up. (laughs) You think back to it now and you're like, wow. Oh, my God. Um... What I was acutely aware of though was the sexism that if there were any operations that needed to go on at night time, it would always be the boys going and not the three girls. You make up, you know, at least over twenty five percent of the Secret Seven. And are you suggesting that the Secret
0: Seven and Blake Seven are <laughs> in some way?
2: And S Club <laughs> seven. <laughs> <laughs>
1: My God, this is like the Da Vinci Code. <laughs> seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Oh, don't get me started on that. Uh, okay, okay. Lest you burst out into song. Uh, um, I,
0: I watched it for the first time, though, about a month or so ago. and really? My God, it's, it's a rapey musical.
1: <laughs> that is it. That is it. The best musical ever about Stockholm Syndrome. <laughs>
0: That's what I called it the other day. Stockholm Syndrome
1: the musical. <laughs> well, I hope you so didn't talk about bestiality as well. Oh, I should, okay. let's get away from that disgusting film Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. <laughs> Blake Seven's Brides for <laughs> Seven Brothers. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, I've, I've lost my train of thoughts. <laughs> All oh, right, right, so, Bill uh, beams down and uh, complains about the cold as Avon's trying to brief him about what's going on. And um, Avon starts up the, the mountain uh, and, and tries to get in contact with uh, Blake. Blake, unfortunately, he gets to the top of the hill and then seems to get kicked down it by some kind of Sasquatch. Um, <laughs> and then I found out it's not a Sasquatch, it's a Cremo. It's, and uh, at first glance you don't really get a, a good glance at it, but later on you see these crimos, uh, apart from the one with the most personality, all wear masks that are not unlike uh, the new Bane mask for the upcoming Dark Knight Rises. Indeed, I believe Christopher Nolan's a big fan of this, <laughs> Christopher Nolan's main influences for the Dark Knight
0: Rises. Blake Seven. Um well, having said that, Chris Nolan's Blake Seven would be fucking amazing.
1: Oh tell me about it. Oh
0: C- Bale is Blake. That's all
1: I'm saying. Cillian Murphy is Avon. Oh yes. Wow. Do some fantasy casting for it, folks. Write in Shake Blake at earth two dot net. Tom Hardy um, is Travis. <laughs> I, I don't know if he could dance properly. <laughs>
0: well, surely the whole idea of reimagining it would be erasing the memory of cosplay Travis's Travis forever. Forever, I tell you.
1: In fairness, the travisagram started before cosplay Travis. Actually, yes, there is. There. <laughs> anyway, um, so let, let us know. Uh, um. So Blake actually loses a bracelet as as he's kicked down Um, and as uh, he attempts to contact Villa Villa's actually sleeping through his contacts because again, he's not a very capable field agent. (laughs) Unless you want a door opening, leave him behind. Um, So Ashton immediately holds him at knife point and uh, interrogates him and, um, actually does remarkably well, well not to get stabbed for repeatedly trying to escape. Uh, but ultimately has to admit that, uh, Avon's also on the surface. So, uh, he has his bracelet taken off him. Avon gets caught in a net. God knows <laughs> how. And, <laughs> and, um, so, he, he's dragged out by a crimo. Um, <laughs> I not believe I'm saying that word. <laughs> <God's sake. laughs> yeah, As I sit here in my Burberry cap and my track suit. About
0: to appear on the Jeremy Kyle show. <laughs>
1: oh, dear God. Um... Anyway, so, uh, pretty much all of them have been caught because, um, Blake, in a, in a wonderful piece of slapstick comedy, uh, as soon as he gets up, steps onto a bear trap, um, he, he doesn't lose his foot, um, but he is caught and he does have his bracelet taken off him and his gun kicked away by a criminal psychopath. Say it, by a cremo. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, yes, the, the, the three three marched up the mountain. Um, Blake and Travis have a a, a, a sit down, and um, Inga doesn't want to hear about her father's betrayal, and um, eventually, it's it's pretty much revealed to Inga as soon as uh, he, t- he tells them that uh, Avon and Villa are on their way. And um, Travis lays out what uh, he wants because now that he's been hunted by uh, the Federation, he wants the only ship capable of evading uh, the Federation, that being the Liberator. And Blake says, no, I need that to stop my own cat handed attempts of getting caught by the, <laughs> by the Federation. <laughs> Um. So, <laughs> Blake and Travis continue to chat casually as Inga beats up a crimo and um, <laughs> nearly escapes. Um, Beaten up by girl. <laughs> it's Travis essentially says, uh, uh, "Oh, I bet you hate Ashton, don't you, for betraying for you?" And Blake's like, "No. I'd kill him. I would." Me, cosplayer Travis. Um, <laughs> and Travis says, yeah, well, that's the difference between us, Travis. And um, Travis loses his cool and nearly slaps him one. Uh, so yep.
0: He could probably go for a backhand pimp
1: slap, isn't he? Yeah. Is it with his bionic arm or is it with his normal arm?
0: It's his regular arm.
1: Is his regular, is his regular Yeah.
0: <laughs> Wait, he's not going to use his ring hand <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm not going anywhere near his ring hand
0: um, And <laughs> the Spirit of Johnny Vegas. <laughs> so which if you have film, Zombies, zombies, zombies will mean absolutely Nothing to you
1: You could mention half the films Out there and it would be nothing to me
0: Trust me, the amount of people who've seen Zombies, 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 which you'll probably count on the fingers Of one hand Yes but there is a fantastic character in it called Johnny Backhand Vegas. Who is a pimp who backs, back slaps people with the, the rings on his hand. <laughs> Why well, he's known as Johnny Backhand Vegas. And there was an awesome moment where he backhand slaps zombies. Okay. <laughs> which is, it has to be seen to be believed.
1: It, uh, I, I'll check this out on YouTube when so I'm finished. <laughs> See that you do, sir. See what you do. <laughs> Um, so, Blake's held in a cell. Um, uh, on board uh, the Liberator, Callie wants to go down because she'd be useful. But uh, Jenna surmises what Travis wants, and that them being on board means that he can't have control of the Liberator. Um, so, Callie decides to uh, get back into. Um, <laughs> Uh, shadow mode. I'm going to get the blasters. And she's like, why? For blasting.
0: (laughs) 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 You can't go down there. We're receptionists. We can't take proactive action.
1: (laughs) Um, Well, don't worry. She doesn't do anything else. (laughs) Um, So, Ashton reunites with uh, his daughter... Travis smirks and uh, ultimately says, right, well, I'm going to betray them. And Ushton's utterly surprised that Travis would do such a thing. Um, (laughs) um, So, Blake, Avon and Villa are all held in uh, this one cell. And then, (laughs) it's, it's slightly curiously, Travis asks Ushton which of the three he reckons is the weakest. You are
0: sort of sitting there going, "What?" Like, Ushton's going, well, hang on a minute, you've been following these guys for two series you don't know who the weakest ones I've known, like, I haven't even met all three of them. Yeah. Like, Ushton <laughs> hasn't met Avon, so how can he possibly have an opinion?
1: And, you know, Travis full well knows what Blake's capable of. Avon blew his damn arm off, whilst admittedly aiming for his head. Um, and... V- Villa, he must at least have some kind of file on if he's been so absorbed in pursuing the Liberator crew. So once he hears Villa's name, it's like, right, Villa, out you come. And um, essentially presents him at hand point uh, <laughs> to, to explain what uh, t- crimo um Murlock needs to do in order to teleport on what word to say whilst um starving the cell of oxygen with uh Blake and Avenin. And um Villa genuinely fearful for his life because ultimately Travis would blow his head off. Um just yells the word teleport. And um Jailer does sense that he's in trouble, but um, doesn't anticipate what kind of trouble because Murloc uh, being straight up uh, with his gun trained on her and uh, with Callie, he doesn't bring in any blasters at all. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like she just went for a walk. Exactly. It's like, oh, Jenna's right. I shouldn't be useful. Shouldn't. Being a
0: fly-by-night girl, she forgot what she was going to get halfway to the bridge. <laughs> so She's come back to the teleport room to ask
1: Jenna what she was doing. There we go. So, yeah, women. <laughs> who needs them? Ali does try and suck Murloc out, but, mostly, you know, if you if you shoot one of us, you know, we won't be able to operate the, the ship properly. But he says, oh, I,
2: I am a, a very
1: smart criminal psychopath. It's just that I really enjoy killing and torture. Um... So, I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out somehow. Um, you know, give me a tour of the Liberator. Um, as this is happening, uh, Villa's been sent back into the cell, and um, Avon's none too impressed, as you could probably imagine. Yeah.
2: Uh, <laughs> I think he actually kicks him in the shins. <laughs>
1: and uh, Villa's moaning, well, what have I done to deserve this? How long a list would you like? Uh, <laughs> but then Avon has to admit that he actually sent a message uh, to Servlan uh, to remark upon Travis's location, um, which the other two men aren't quite as happy about. And um, upon concluding the Grand tour of the Liberator, uh, Murlock instructs uh, Cali to send him down so that um, he can take a teleport brace uh, back to Travis so he can board the Liberator. And then hesitates. So Murloc gives a countdown. Uh, and if it doesn't happen, going to kill Callie. And uh, he reaches his countdown. Can the ladies finally team up and do something useful? I say fine. I mean this one episode because obviously J- Jenna was was kind of major in pressure point. Um but for these two episodes. Ooh. Not as good. And um Callie kicks the gun upwards and dives out of the teleportation bay and uh Jenna gives Murloc the fate of uh Brian Blessed uh essentially and uh zaps Murlock into space. Indeed using the same stock footage to show the explosion.
0: <laughs> it was it no. Yes it was, yes. <laughs> You don't think they re-filmed that, did you? Well,
2: I would have thought... It's the same
0: nondescript plasticine figure exploding in space.
1: Uh, but the two characters didn't look anything alike.
0: Yeah, but you couldn't tell what they looked like when they were in space. It just looked like a nebulous figure.
1: It was pretty darn quick before the explosion yeah. kicked in, in fairness. So and it,
0: uh, bracelet count one.
1: Yes, yes Indeed. the the secretaries have no time to rest upon their laurels uh, because Zen notes an approaching ship uh, which we know to be Servland and because it'll take maybe 12 minutes for her to be in range uh, Jenna doesn't know if it's a single ship that's trained on Deliberator or whether it's the first of a flotilla of many ships so um, she doesn't want to risk Going down and rescuing <laughs> the fellas again. So, um, after that one flash of something to do, they decide, it's, it's nah. Activatic reception. Yep. <laughs> Get the Sudoku out. <laughs>
0: yeah. Jenna Stannis, space receptionist.
1: Hello, you've reached the Liberator. Jenna speaking. How can I
2: help
1: you? <laughs> Hello. Is obviously the the first to complain of the oxygen dip deprivation in the cell, despite the fact that they can even have been in there longer. And um, suddenly, Ashton turns faced, to use wrestling parlance and um, <laughs> distracts the crimos uh, by saying, "Hey, my daughter! You haven't been guarded. She's just escaped, and you wonder why she hasn't been guarded." <laughs> That's all. Um, so essentially, they run off. Uh, I, I, I think <laughs> Ashton simply just shuts the door on them and then um, knocks that's out Travis. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's why cosplay Travis is an idiot. Um, so if I were, I should just like Throw him down the hill. Travis, that would never happen with Travis Prime
0: cosplay Travis gets the shit kicked out of him by an old man he looks like Grizzly Adams
1: oh, oh there's more to come as, yes. as, as well you know well. oh yes <laughs> so in a nutshell um, Ashton and Inga free Blake, and Villa and uh, Ashton says right come on lads let's finish the job uh, Villa's complaining too much of pins and needles so Inga stays with him and um the <laughs> Old Grizz Ashton and Blake and Nathan decide to to go and wreak havoc. And let's see. Um, the next line of my notes reads: Travis and Krios flee in terror from a terrifying landslide. <laughs> it
0: does get into comedy supervillainy, doesn't it?
1: Oh, I sweat. But I'll just quickly explain this bit because essentially. Uh, because Travis and the crimos. Tra- <laughs> Why is Travis and the crimos? <laughs> <For> God's sake. <laughs> Travis and his merry band of crimos <laughs> at the bottom here. So they're trying to get back on top. So again, in a kind of it's a knockout style. Um, <laughs> it's just like, Blake, Avon, and Ashton just look like throwing stylophrone rocks down a hill. <laughs> and they
0: flee in terror. <laughs> five polystyrene rocks come towards them at like a really, really slowly. And, and one, one of them's
1: actually... Run away, Crimos! One of them's actually killed by the head. <laughs> it's embarrassing. And then Blake, Avon, and Ashton Set forward after them, and you see the, the horrible sight of cosplay Travis running around, yelling at the top of his voice, "Crimos,
2: crimos!"
1: Just making the following him with their guns as if he's being pursued. "Catch the Travis, catch the Travis!" <laughs> How? Grab him, nab him, slam him, whatever.
0: In this episode, Cosplay Travis does display a level of villainy that would embarrass Dick Dastardly.
1: Dick Dastardly <laughs> and his smirking murloc Muttley. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway, um... Ashton actually does all the work. Um,
2: yes,
1: yes. He, he beats two of the Krimos to death with a staff. Or just... Or kills one of them and knocks down the other. Um, punches one off a cliff. And as as he falls, he transforms into a mannequin. So that's a a magical punch. And um, then he's set upon by the final cremo, who I think just kills off screen. And then Blake and Avon and Cosplay Travis are playing their their kind of ambush, shoot-em-up kind of.
0: Travis is hiding in one bush, Blake and Avon are hiding in an entirely different bush and they're both firing randomly at bushes. Yep. (laughs) While an old man with a stick is laying waste to an (laughs) army of criminal psychopaths.
1: Somehow, well, I I, I, I say somehow, um, Travis actually manages to turn the tables because Avon gets hit in the arm. Blake rushes to try and defend him, but it, uh, that means that he's now at uh, Travis's mercy. <laughs> Again, you know, oh, cosplay Travis—he's—he's—he's he's, he's won the day. And you think, finally, his character has been redeemed slightly in this <laughs> loony tunes of an episode.
0: There's only one way he could possibly be made to be looking like a, like an idiot now. That's when the old man
1: throws a net over him. <laughs> Essentially, all, all the villains are defeated. And Avon says, right, so it's time to kill Travis, yes? And Blake says, no, if Serbaland's on her way, then let's, let's leave Travis for him to deal with. <laughs> and if you're not pounding your head into the desk as you, as you read that, uh, then there we go. Blake is just not going to kill Travis. <laughs> it's, it's not in his DNA. So um so they go up to the very top of uh they go back to the tower. They must they spend like another hour climbing up the hill uh to regroup. Blake makes contact with um the Liberator and Jen says, Oh Blake, you're alright Uh to which Blake suavely goes, Yes, yes I am Um (laughs) And Jenna notes, oh, you've only got 12 minutes uh, before Serblan moves in. Well, we'd better get a move on then, hadn't we? Uh, He says, uh, bring some teleport braces down for Ashton and Inga. And then Inga shows the same kind of fervency that Blake really admired. And uh, so just as Jenna beams down, he goes up and he snogs his cousin. Yeah... And we, we can get back to that in the analysis part. But just, just to finish off, Travis is wandering around the planet pretty grumpy. Servland's smirking, but has him untied. And because, again, she, she sees that he is of use to her more so than people before
2: after.
0: The man who got beaten up by an old man and captured in a net with his band of crimos is far more useful to her than the competent space commander who got within a hair's breadth of capturing
1: Blake. Well, the thing is, Serverland didn't see any of that. Uh, I, I doubt Travis is going to want to relate what just happened. <laughs> so, as far well as she's concerned, it hasn't happened. Um, so, essentially, she says, look, if you can work for me unofficially, I'll strike a deal to have you listed as dead, so that you can go off and do whatever you want, because that's a fair degree of freedom that you'll have. And uh, we get back on board the Liberator. Blake notes that uh, Avon's injuries will heal, so uh, let's move on. And Jenna kind of has the hump with him. And uh, this episode ends. It's a never long synopsis, I'm afraid, but um, there was a lot to point out. Uh, we did get kind of distracted
0: in the middle. <laughs> which, which I think is one of the problems of the episode, it has to be said. Go on. Well, you know, it's like, we can't even synopsize the plot without getting distracted halfway through. because A lot of it is a bit ludicrous.
2: Yeah.
1: Crimos, really. I mean, I don't blame... Uh, the writer for this, for not kind of having the foresight to, you know, predict the 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 chav culture and the, the the kind of shortening of language and and stuff like that. But even so, I mean, it just smells
0: so much like a holding name, you know, like a, yeah. like he called them crimos in the script, thinking he'd come up with a better name for them later, and then didn't.
1: But it must have thought of something, though. Because, CRIMOs! CRIMOs! As, as Cosplay Travis screaming CRIMOs at the top of his lungs. It's like, save me, CRIMOs!
0: <laughs> save me from the old man and his daughter! <laughs> oh no, that's right, the old man's killed you all! The thing is, I,
1: uh, as a romp, I kind of like this episode. I, I do like certain aspects of the ludicrousness. And (laughs) the thing is, Travis was so good in the two stories we covered in the last episode. But to see him be given a tale that, you know, Stephen Grief would probably own completely, I reckon he could almost lend a degree of legitimacy to the ending. Yeah. But it was just disappointing. Because next, you finally have an episode with which you could compare to season one, Travis.
0: Here, here he's a he's a pantomime
1: villain. That's the thing. I, I like him because he is that bad. He is so bad, he's good to me. <laughs> he's like space grot bags. <laughs> space grot. Wow! Again uh, for
0: our American listeners,
1: Grotbags. <laughs>
0: Grotbags <laughs> uh, Grot was a was a an, a comedy witch <laughs> on a show involving Rod Hull and Emu. I'm not even going to attempt to explain Rod Hull and Emu.
1: No. Although Grotbags did have her own live action spin off show on CITV. Yes. It wasn't very good. <laughs> yes. What bags was nothing without Hull? Although, I will say, I believe I, I brought this up uh, for my Black Dog podcast being on their Little Shop of Horrors. Yes. Uh, she did a cover of Mean Green Mother. And that was from outside. Bags suspense. was green. She was. And I'm sorry to say, that's my first ever encounter of that song. <laughs> Hostage. Um. What, what, what do you worked about this episode?
0: I kind of like Avon's decided to solve the problem of Travis having Inga hostage by just calling Servalan. <laughs> I, I do like the exchange between Servalan and, uh, what's his name? Counselor Jabin? Uh, Joban. Joban. That's it. Because it, it is, on the surface, it's all very friendly. Yes. But it's also laced with threat. Oh, yes. Uh, the actor playing Joban, Kevin Stoney, is, is fantastic, and he's played a lot of those kind of very kind of slimy, erudite, urbane roles.
1: And, I mean, the two do match each other toe-to-toe. I mean, you, you feel that Joban might have the edge, but at the same time, Servland does not come across as weak in this exchange either. Oh, no, not at all. It's, it's very much a matching of equals. Mm. And all the better for it. Oh yeah, absolutely. In fact, did you get the impression when she was going about to offer him another drink that she might poison that
0: one? I think there's a a chance that Sir Valand offers anybody a drink
1: they could well (laughs) be poisoned. She does come across that way.
0: Yes, (laughs) I like that exchange a lot. Mm -hmm. I like sort of Villa's sort of moments of bravery, trying to resist Travis, even though he's terrified. He really is trying to. Not give in, at the same time.
2: Yeah,
0: I mean, he does eventually crack because Villa was never going to sort of stand up to that kind of pressure. But you really do get that sense that he's doing everything he can to fight down his fear and not give in. It's it's surprisingly dramatic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like Villa is basically being held with a gun to his head,
1: and it, he he is screaming the words at the end of it.
0: Yeah, because he's terrified. Yeah, because it's Villa, you know.
1: Yeah, and he's seconds away from death. I mean, it's sort
0: of like, you know, a country mile from the sort of more sarcastic villain that we saw in the last episode.
1: But then he wasn't really in very much direct danger. Yeah. Um, at least not until the plague started to, to really break loose. Um, whereas, yeah, a, a gun to your head. <laughs> For me, I've, I kind of like seeing... Yeah, a bit more insight into Blake, and he, he has family, and he has, like, backstory out there.
0: He has some family, which he occasionally has sex with.
1: Yeah. The, the thing about that, that was just, <laughs> I mean, I don't know, maybe, maybe times have moved on several centuries in the future, but... Um, the incest, we're groovy with that. That's, it, it is odd. It's, it's, it's the whole cousin thing, isn't it? Like Everyone theoretically has that one attractive cousin that's...
0: You sit there thinking, well, yeah, technically it's not illegal, but it's (laughs) frowned upon.
1: (laughs) So what if we have the same grandparents? (laughs) It's... it's, But, I I mean, it's just like... I mean, perhaps you wonder what what Blake means when I said, oh, she meant a great deal to me once. Because it's established that he was pretty young the last time he was there. Yeah. The last time he saw her. <laughs> so, um, yeah, a, a bit awkward. Um, maybe it's only just heavy petting. Maybe. Or maybe it's like a, a deep friendship when you're young, and then you've all grown up all those years later, as is the basis for, I imagine, several novels of the past.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, it's just Odd. I mean, Blake has had a love interest up to this point, and this is the closest he's had, and it's his cousin. <laughs> Make
1: of that what you will. And now that, erm, um, died, this is like the only kind of romantic liaison we've seen of the Liberator crew. Yes. And, and it's incest.
2: Yes. Well, I mean,
1: there is, <laughs> there is an argument in Shadow that, uh, Villa was in a whorehouse but
0: <laughs> with all the romance that implies well
1: obviously yeah I don't really want to linger on this point to be well then let's not no I think I mean I like that Serbland I mean she was kind of restricted to three scenes yes. I think in all of them she was pretty good rather than you know you can have too much of a good thing. I mean, but I think there are some episodes where Servalan I mean, her presence throughout is is kind of odd. The fact that she goes on so many physical missions herself and puts herself in certain danger or yeah. bows to the, the whims of Travis at, at certain points. In this one, she has three scenes. One where she has to mit, uh, match wits with... Yeah. A superior, one where she she herself questions uh, the, the ways of mutoids, which we haven't really seen since um, duels.
0: Well, it's because she doesn't always surround herself with mutoids, and they just apparently yeah. just annoy the arse
1: off her. <laughs> Although she knows how to make them obey her. Yes. <laughs> and uh, then we have a really n- nice exchange between. Uh, her and Travis right at the very end. Yeah. And I really like what they did there, because if he was simply recaptured, then it would be trial all over again. He'd escape, and it would just return to the status quo at the very beginning of the episode. So, I did like the progression with that. So, there's there's a lot of stuff to like. And (laughs) if... (laughs) If you can find the humour in Blake, Avon and Ushton against Cosplay Travis and the Crimos, then you, you you might not come away thinking too badly of this episode.
0: But it's also quite ridiculous.
1: Oh, it's hugely ridiculous. But it made me laugh. As was, <laughs> as so not what you want from a drama series. <laughs> no. But <laughs> I don't know. Perhaps I had a long day at work. It's just, it just cosplay. Travis shouting, "Crimos! crimos. <laughs> my kingdom for them crimos?" <laughs> With the catch the pigeon theme running through my head.
0: Yes, and uh, the aforementioned detector shield is now clapped out, <laughs> as predicted by Villa. Hmm. And they are sort of talking about trying to sort of prioritise going to find the spare parts to fix it, but then Blake points out it's one well, of the point is because the Federation have their own, which seems like a really stupid logic. Well, the Federation uh, have their own detector shield, so there's no point in us having one anymore. What? <laughs> it's, like, it's like saying, like, oh, the Klingons have got their own cloaking device,
1: so we don't need one anymore. What? <laughs> it is a bit wonky, log- logistically-wise.
0: Yeah, other than that, it's just, you know, the girls are stuck on the bridge again. Yep. Doing nothing, except possibly calling their agents. <laughs> I mean, the last four episodes, Callie has stayed on the ship. At least the last four.
1: I was about to say even pressure point, but.
0: Yeah, but yeah, yeah, she's the only one who stays on board ship and pressure point. Jenna's been, been just stayed on the ship the last three. Mm. And it doesn't make any bastard sense, because, you know, if you need somebody to keep surveillance on somebody you think might be dangerous, why the hell would you send for Villa? <laughs> Like you said, if there isn't a door that needs opening, so yeah. wow! I have a trained smuggler. Yep. Or I have a trained freedom fighter. Mm-hmm. or I have a cowardly dick who's good at opening doors.
1: And who falls asleep when he's meant to be doing surveillance.
0: And it's not the first time Vin has fallen asleep while he's meant to be sort of keeping an eye out.
1: Yeah. But was it wasn't even in this episode when there's the when the message first comes in.
0: Yeah, he's asleep.
1: <laughs> Places. Of... Oh, what, what was that, Villa? Oh, probably nothing for us.
0: I don't know. So, I was asleep.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, it's not the web.
0: It's not the web. I'll give you that. It's not the web, but
1: because it's not shit.
0: Yes, but, <laughs> but it's a couple of steps up from the web, but it's it's not great. I think
1: it doesn't hit the heights.
0: I'd, I'm saying probably the best thing about it was the fact that it, for the first time it got a bloody great space battle in ages. I mean, not I think last. <laughs> Big mm. space battle we had was redemption. Yeah. And even agree. and even that wasn't on the scale that this is at. I mean, like it's the first time you see that they've committed more than three pursuit ships, or like twenty of the things coming at them.
2: Yeah.
0: And it really is a sense of the stakes being raised. And it's just such a because obviously yeah, this space commander's like good at committing lots of ships, he's going at them quite hard and everything. And the first time he fails, he's just carted off. He's like what well, why didn't Serverland do that with Travis every time he failed? And Travis has come you know a lot less close to catching Blake and still been allowed to have another crack at it. So this guy's come a hair's breadth away, you know, and just like, well, let me reformulate the plan and go at him again, for God's sake.
1: Eh, perhaps she was just in a bad mood.
0: <laughs> OK, so that's our sort of uh, lukewarm reception to hostage. Shall we uh, see what the feedback thinks?
1: Ooh, go on then.
0: Well, we have feedback from Mitchell on this one. He says, uh, this episode was Great. <laughs> okay. Uh, with many with many very good points and many good battles. The Liberator's Space Battle, Servalan's smugness battle, Avon's inner loyalty and guilt battle, Ashton and the crimos' fisticuffs, cosplay Travis, who was who was in better than average form this episode versus Avon Blake and Ashton. Uh, three minor things bothered me. One, why didn't they bring Ashton and Inga to the crew? They could have used Ashton's moves in future fist fights.
1: I think there's a very good reason why Inga shouldn't be on the crew. <laughs> Which brings us
0: and on get to... get taken pick. off air. <laughs> <laughs> Did Blake have a thing for his cousin? I mean, I may have misfigured the relationship, but if Ashton is his uncle, then Inga is his cousin, and Jenna, who was awful jealous of an incestuous relationship. And three, just shoot Travis! Sir Valad or Blake, one of you, just do it! Still, the cat's eyes Jenna fires off at Iger are so priceless, I'm willing to let Travis live another episode. Till next month, Mitchell.
1: Thank you, Mitchell.
0: Yeah, there is a lot of like, basically, Jenna is bitchy space receptionist, because any sort of mention of, you know, Iger might have, you know, a thing for Blake, she's like, oh, you know, She's given a real kind of bitchy stares.
1: Mm. Well, and um, if you remember, she wasn't all that keen on Callie when she first joined the crew. But, uh, no, it's, it's, it's a shame. It's, <laughs> Jenna has gone from being, like, important female member of the crew to uh, bitchy receptionist. Bitchy, sp- Jenna Stannis, bitchy space receptionist. <laughs> Ghostbusters, what do you want? <laughs> <laughs> the liberator's Janine <laughs> <laughs> Does that make Aurak Slimer? <laughs> oh, boy! Wow. Yeah.
0: Well, we also have some feedback on this one from uh, the good Reverend Organ, anne
3: Ah,
2: wonderful.
0: So let's fire that up and see what they have to say about this episode.
3: Hello. Hello.
4: I hope you chaps are all right. It's anne and Peter here. And uh, we, we were a bit indecisive as to which episode to feed back on.
3: Yes, because the first episode... Really good plot. Shit costumes.
4: <laughs> yeah, well written. Well, Bobby Holmes. Yes, it's just the, the costume designer was on the dried frog pills, weren't they?
3: Yeah, definitely. And you get
4: the Michelin men. You get the uh, the crew. The base crew are dressed like members of a prog rock band. Oh, I
3: know. Uh, They've all got them little hair bands, for no adequately yeah. explained reason. The
4: fire crew are walking tortillas.
3: Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs>
4: But uh, generally a good episode. Uh, and then you get a hostage.
3: <laughs> yeah.
4: <laughs> Which just unfortunately highlights just how crap Travis has become. Oh. I mean, I know you guys quite like the... Uh, trial. Trial, yeah. I wasn't so keen because I just found Travis too shouty. In this, he's shouty times a billion.
3: It's like he can't even do cosplay.
4: Oh, it's terrible. He's so inept as well. And, you know, you, you think he's got Blake and are all sorted and then they very easily escape and it still that business with him pointing his gun at uh, Villa's head and going the word the word
3: what's the word
4: oh good grief uh, but never mind <laughs> <laughs> poor Callie and general left on the ship again
3: I know it's like the famous five you know the girls have to stay behind and the boys will go off with the dog
4: Blake's famous five <laughs> yeah it's like
3: was it been, is it being written by Enid Blyton
4: yeah oh dear Got Planet X Bar, which of course I just had. Oh going yeah. to take you to X Bar. You tried
3: that I mm. unwise as well.
4: <laughs> oh. And you got Ashton, who you pointed out looks like Gary Oldman's dad. Yes. And the wonderful crimos. Oh. Don't think we see them again, do we? <laughs> Good. <laughs> Another strange costume decision.
3: Oh, they look like Beatles.
4: Yeah, sort of like they've got some of these diving costume on, and unfortunately they're not the most uh, svelte of extras are they playing? The Apart crinos. from the
3: one who gets, who who for no adequately explained reason, explodes in space. Oh yes,
4: they, um, is it Moloch? Yeah. They, they oh. teleport him out and he goes, bang! I was like, wow, what have he got in his guts? You! <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, just Travis, and uh, annoyingly, yet again, Blake has a chance to kill Travis, and he leaves him for the Federation. Oh, that worked well last time, didn't oh, it? Oh, please. So that just gives Travis another chance to kill Blake, and... Travis is just so pitifully hopeless that you just want Cerverland to kill him, but no, she lets him go as well. It's all a bit hopeless, really, isn't it? It's like getting slightly formulaic, sadly.
3: Yes. You, you kind of expect it some... When they, um, when Blake leaves, and then also when Servalan turns up and lets Travis leave, you actually expect it to go... Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
4: But worst moment of the episode... Kissing cousins,
3: ew! <laughs> yeah, your parents are cousins. Not, not.
4: What do you call them? First cousins.
3: No, that's your mum's parents. Yeah,
4: all right. I, I haven't got much of a family tree. It's more of a family bush, really. Yes. But, but even so, I don't want to be seen on the television. Ooh. It's not quite as bad as Luke and Leah kissing, but um, yeah.
3: No, no. But also, she looked quite nice. Rog Blake is about <laughs> as attractive as she's, a cabbage. She's
4: holding. You, oh, and when he says, "I'll come back for you," yeah, right. So yeah, a bit of a sad episode in many ways, particularly after sort of coming after. You know, what was quite killer was quite good, I thought, but hostage is a bit poo.
3: But the costumes are better, apart yeah. from the Beatles.
4: So we, we've, ju- we've judged it a better episode on the basis of the costumes.
3: No, <laughs> no. no. Madness. No, the first one was definitely a better episode, but the costumes were distracting.
2: <laughs>
3: this time round the costumes were distracting. Servalan didn't have a booby gecko. No,
4: no. She had a minky coat. You see the little head on it. Yeah. Yeah, a bit grim.
3: <laughs> yeah, and she didn't have a, an outfit with a slit up it slit up it to let you see her mm. coin
4: slot. <laughs> Lovely. But there we go. It's still Blake Seven, it's still fun. Just slightly formulaic as I say. <laughs>
3: Yeah, and also, I never understood the whole Avon thing. I'm not going to go down, it's a trap. No, we aren't doing anything. Oh, I'm just going to contact the Federation and send them here. Mm. What?
4: Yeah, that was odd, wasn't it? I mean, you can kind of see his logic, but...
3: Not really. But then
4: he spends all the time brooding before deciding that perhaps he needs to go down and rescue Blake, rather than stop him and go down in the first place. Oh. Yeah. yeah, never mind. Never mind. <laughs> Better to come. Okay, guys, see ya. Bye.
0: Bye. Well, thank you for that. Well, great minds thinking alike, it would seem. The, the, yes. collection.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I never really got into the Famous Five. Um, it, it seemed a bit imbalanced because whilst there were two boys and two girls and a, a dog to, to balance this up, one of the girls wanted so badly to be a boy that it, it did seem a bit imbalanced. Um I, I stand by my Secret Seven metaphor, but, uh yes, it, 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 oh, it's always good to hear two mentions of Enid Blyton.
0: Oh, no. <laughs> uh, everyone's favourite childhood racist. <laughs> well, there you we have it. I think that sums up pretty much everything that can really be said about hostage. I mean, Mitchell seemed to enjoy it. I'm glad he enjoyed it.
1: I I enjoyed Hostage, just with a kind of...
0: Not so much in the spirit that it is possibly meant to be enjoyed. You're enjoying it in a (laughs) so-bad-it's-good kind of way. It's
1: not even so-bad-it's-good, it's It's just there's this one ten-minute burst of insanity that I really wasn't (laughs) expecting. (laughs) Which is both a good and a bad thing. But, yes, I think... Cosplay Travis has regressed
2: at this point.
0: Yes, it's. I mean, like, he, he showed signs of improvement, but by this point, he's just very silly, <laughs> very <laughs> very silly.
1: He's Dick Dastardly. <laughs> he's become Dick Dastardly. He's cosplay Dick. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! <laughs> but, cosplay Dick in the crimos
0: aha <laughs> uh-huh. it's it, it's getting a little worrying <laughs> <laughs> well, all told, should we uh, bring on the hook out
1: i think we better <laughs>
0: Killer. Little film on the ground. Uh, Morris Barry, who played Dr. Wyler. Uh, he played Toland in The Creature from the Pit, but he's also directed several Doctor Who stories. He directed uh, The Moonbase, Tomb of the Cybermen, and The, and the Dominators, which are all Patrick Troutman stories.
2: Okay.
0: Well, he's an actor and a director. Uh, Mark Kirby, who played a technician, was a crewman. <laughs> Here we uh, go. Uh, <laughs> What?
1: Sorry, no, no, it's the, it's the extras time.
0: Oh, it's extras time. <laughs> and, uh, Adrian Varco, who played a guard, was a covered member in the now legendary spin off Canine and Company.
2: <laughs> I, was, uh, I
1: was wondering, you know, whether Ushten um, was being put over so strongly in hostage that maybe he was being given a backdoor pilot of his own. <laughs> so if it's Ashton and Daughter Could be To Blake 7 What canine and company Would be to talk to who Ushton
0: and Daughter <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, If anybody deserves a spin-off show For Blake 7 It's Carnell
1: <laughs> That's true That's true
0: <laughs> Carnell should totally have his spin-off show <laughs> Okay so uh, In Hostage we have uh, the legendary Mr. John Abeneri, who, who plays Ushton. Now, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Toby Haydock's uh, "Moss St. Like My Doctor Who Scarf stand-up show. No. Uh, basically, it, it's a stand-up comedy show. which you, you get a version of it, a radio version of it for Radio 4.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Uh, basically, talking about his life as a Doctor Who fan. And <laughs> the name John Abeneri figures large in his life. Alright. So if you ever get around to listening to it, I, I fully support you uh, anybody who hasn't heard it, go go find a copy or see it live. I, mean, I, I don't know if he does it live too much anymore but I, I have seen him uh, do the show live and it's very good. Okay. But yes, John Abernary played uh, Van, Van Lutyens in Fury from the Deep I'll probably pronounce it that wrong. Uh, General Carrington in The Ambassadors of Death uh, Richard Railton in Death to the Daleks and Rankin in The Power of Kroll. Where he was painted green and wearing a Floreau and a Benjamin wig.
1: Wow. Yes. Such a thing <laughs> exists?
0: Oh, yes. Well, just Google the power oh, no,
1: of. This is going to be the Alpha Centauri all over again, isn't it? Yes, yes. Oh, my...
0: That Swampy's, the power of crawl. That's what you want. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now. Oh, okay. no. Yes, you know, do it now. Why not do it now?
1: Okay. Yowzer. <laughs> if you
2: know think it,
1: you, you know how we were talking about grotbags earlier. <laughs> Anyone who wants to play along and do uh, Swampy's Power of croll.
2: <laughs>
1: uh, thats grotbags. Fair enough.
0: Uh, Kevin Stoney, who played Councillor Jaben. Uh, has played some very big roles in the series. He, he was Mavic Chen in the Dalek Master Plan with the uh, the big twelve part William Hartnell Dalek story, ah. which he, he was the main human villain. Uh, he was Tobias Vaughn in the Patrick Troughton story The Invasion, and he was Tyrum in the Tom Baker story Revenge of the Cybermen.
1: So, which which guy from um, Hostage was
0: that? Uh, Kevin Stoney. He played Councilor Jabin. Oh right, okay. Uh, Andrew Robertson, who was the uh, unusually competent space commander, played uh, Mr. Fibuli in The Pirate Planet. And you know what? It, it's such a good performance of Mr. Fibuli. Actually, I was actually shocked to discover that he was playing the space commander, because the space commander is so sort of confident and commanding and in control. And Mr. Fibuli is, is, is the exact opposite of that. Right. David Roy Paul, who played a crimo... <laughs> was a foul officer in Genesis of the Daleks. Walter Turner, who played a Crimo, <laughs> was a unit soldier in Doctor Who and the Silurians. Uh, Robert Smythe, who played a Crimo,
2: <laughs> Stop it. Has,
0: been, has, has been mentioned before in the Who Counts and played a uh, Ceremony Observer in Snake Dance. <laughs> bracket uncredited. Wow. And also the previously mentioned in other episodes, Margaret Pilau. Who played a who's uh, her second stint at playing a mutoid, and she was a technician in the Valyrians. Yeah. I don't know whether or not she was one of the Beverly sisters. <laughs> I suspect not, but we, I guess we shall see. Right. But that gives us a who counts of hold on seven. Seven. Yeah. Who counts of seven for hostage. Good, good. So shall we uh shall we take this weary ship back to shore?
1: <laughs> Let's do as much.
0: <laughs> so, Mr Wilson, what, what's new on the, the World of Earth 2? Uh,
1: well, uh, I think it's fair to say it's been a bit quiet over the past month. Um, although, uh, just just staying on a Doctor Who bent just now, uh, off time of recording, and when this goes out it'll be a, a week later, uh, Bigger on the Inside have got round to the Five
0: Doctors. Oh, looking forward to that. Uh, a big fan so of the five top. So
1: you should hear what Mike and Dad got to say about that one. So that's a ton of fun. Uh, but otherwise, we're, we're actually coming up to some milestones. For one thing, an amazing podcast, which has been mentioned before, because of uh, the recent animated mention. Um, that's coming up to its 100th episode. Uh, so Kellen and Chums are busy... Uh, getting together some interviews and, um... I mean, Kellen has interviewed some fairly well-known people in anime uh, vo- uh, voice actor-wise before. None of which has been to mind because I've never heard of these people. But, uh, Fair enough. But, he, yeah, he's, he's, he's done some good interviews in the past and, uh, he's looking to do more than one. So, um...
0: Oh, excellent. So, well, congratulations on that on 100 episodes. It's always
1: good to see like a, a show reach that kind of milestone. Absolutely. And also, um, this might be a month or two off, but Earth2.net for show uh, is less than 20 episodes away from uh, the big 500. Zero zero. Wow. Indeed. And um, essentially... Uh, what Mike is planning on doing is uh, to ape the style of episode 100, which is the epic seven-hour-long one devoted to all things Turtles. Right. So we're going to do that kind of thing again, just on a different theme. And the staff of Earth 2 know what that theme is. Uh, We've all been apportioned segments and stuff like that. So uh, we're all starting to do our homework for that. Um, it's going to be longer because there are that many more staff members, and uh, there's a ton of stuff to say upon the subject. Uh, not going to give anything away just yet, but um, it is going to be good. Uh, oh, excellent! We, know, we normally try and pick on a, a fairly big uh, a thing for for a, an episode that's you know that kind of milestone. Uh, episode 100, as I said, was The Turtles. 200 um, was The Crow, uh, which Mike and Jenny went through. And then 300, I actually had to go back and try remind myself what it was. Uh, and it was one of Mike and Jenny's last reviews together. Um, it was the uh, Twilight uh, franchise. Wow. Which, as you know, a lot of podcasts uh, att- attempt to see it through. And I've, I've listened to their pain, and I have sympathised with absolutely no intention of doing such-like. Um, and uh, episode 400 was me, Mike, and James reviewing Batman Begins. And uh, yes, so we have our, our mammoth episode 500 to come by the end of the year. Well,
0: looking forward to that.
1: Oh, aren't we all?
0: <laughs> yes well over at Geek Planet uh, myself and Mr Matt Dillon have recorded the very last episode of the Eclectic Podcast which uh, should be up by the time you hear this
1: do you know why I know that
0: <laughs> tell, tell the boys and girls why, why you know that
1: well um, whilst they're waiting for their their proper guests for the episode uh, I, I received a call I believe this time last perhaps a, a few hours earlier but yeah. uh, I, I was rung up on Skype, and uh, we we had a chat, whilst I was used as their warm-up man, or as I was later coined by Mr Probert, uh, their audio fluffer.
0: Yes. <laughs> to yeah, <laughs> i to said that. Yes.
1: I wasn't impressed.
0: <laughs> you should be. <laughs> it's a wonderful title. Yes. Well. No. Did you get that put on business card?
1: <laughs> I was going to say.
0: Ian Wilson, paralegal and audio fluffer.
1: <laughs> Just add it to my resume. <laughs>
0: I'll give you a reference.
1: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I will ask for it on LinkedIn. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I can recommend this man as an audio fluffer. <laughs> he's a, He's an effortless fluffer. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But yes, yes, we uh,
0: we've recorded that, and um, I also uh, made a guest appearance on the Black Dog podcast recently, where we were discussing the Rocketeer Good as part of their roasted insects in segment. Mm. Well, I, I'm a huge fan of the Rocketeer, I love the Rocketeer. So yes, well, there, there is a there is a discussion about the Rocketeer.
1: I can't remember the number, but I have done a comic relief on that in the past. But yeah, uh, yeah I've. I, I,
0: I don't know. They, they've covered it in better with the dark as well because I, mm. I listened to their whole sort of a uh, pulp
1: heroes one. You oh, yes. mentioned it. I uh, really enjoyed that. The, the thing is, I I turned that episode on just as I was coming out of work today. But, oh, that's Dave. Okay.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so
0: I, I get about a bit. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: I I, I had to prepare for this episode, so I've only got as far as. Uh, the synopsis this is the film, but uh, I, I look forward to finishing it. Well, I hope you enjoy it, sir. Yeah, I'm sure I shall.
0: But yes, on, on the last Eclectic Podcast, we do have a very special guest, so uh, keep an eye open for that.
1: <laughs> is this going to be our third mention of Grot Bags?
0: No, no, sadly not, <laughs> no. No, she, she wouldn't lower herself. <laughs> if you want to find out who did lower themselves, tune in to the very last episode of the Eclectic Podcast. <laughs>
1: good, good. Right, well, I guess we're pretty much done, aren't we? I believe we are. Remorse!
2: Remorse! Remorse!
0: Remorse! Well, next time we're going to be tackling another two episodes of Blake 7. Those episodes are going to be Countdown and Voice from the Past. So, until next month, for me, Dave Probert. And me, Ian Wilson. Thank you for listening to Shaker Blake.